Hello and welcome to the Sports Historians Podcast, Episode 1. Today we are covering the 2002 Major League Baseball season. My name is Justin. I'm Joseph. And we are very excited to bring this to you. Uh, born out of seeing replay after replay of old game on TV and binging through The Last Dance, we felt that it was important to do something to... Uh, bring some sort of sports entertainment to, to everybody right now. So we're uh, very excited to do this, aren't we? Mm-hmm. This should be good. We're, uh, the focus of this, we're going to be going back through old sports seasons. Uh, today we're doing baseball. We'll have an NFL episode and an NBA episode up as well. Uh, at least that's the plan. And just going back through and focusing on the things that people don't remember kind of dispelling some of the myths that that pop up when you think about seasons 25 years ago, 50 years ago, uh, just depending. And instead focusing on here are the things that that get lost in history because this team didn't win the championship. Uh, And so that's really, as Seattle sports fans, that's something that's near and dear to our hearts because we feel like we often get lost in kind of the national narrative. We always get lost in the national (laughs) narrative. But two words, Jonah Hill. Gotta love Jonah Hill. (laughs) And why are we talking about Jonah Hill? Well, Joseph, we're talking about the 2002 Major League season, also known really, I think, in popular culture as the Moneyball season. I mean, Brad Pitt, is he on steroids? Let's talk about that. Let's, like, Mark McGuire, we already know. We already know about Barry Bonds, but Brad Pitt and Moneyball. We will get down dirty. We'll figure this out, okay? Uh, All important things like that, that's what we're going to cover today. Um, But before we do that, I thought it would be important that both of us go through, kind of before we did all the research into this season, uh, and we do this deep dive, what do we remember just off the top of our heads from this season? Obviously, for me, I remember the the Moneyball stuff. I read the book and all that, um, and everyone knows the movie, which tells about half the story, really, of actually that Oakland A's team. I remember, of course, a gajillion home runs um, and everybody looking like they're Mount, uh, competing in the Mount Olympus competition. And uh, I remember the Giants losing Game 7. I remember as a six-year-old being super excited for a Game 7 in the World Series that didn't have the Yankees in it. And then the game kind of being a dud and the Giants blowing it. That's kind of what my recollection was. Do you have anything, Joseph? I was four. (laughs) But you've been influenced, too, by kind of how Moneyball has become such a part of popular culture almost, right? Yeah, Brad Pitt. No, Moneyball... And it's really influenced the sort of technology boom in baseball. So Astros using technology, am I right? <laughs> They're using some great technology. Um, but just a lot of teams with like hit tracks, pitch tracks, things like that. Um, pitch FX, you know, getting the, the miles per hour, the speed, all the stats together. That kind of co- sort of started that. And baseball's always kind of been 15 years behind all the other sports. I mean, they had they had a freaking yellow light on the hockey puck before you know, all of this started, and baseball is still figuring out that stats can be useful. And uh, and so that's right. That's exactly what we want to get into. Um, and so what I want to start with is let's let's uh, pop in the let's rewind back to two thousand and two. Kind of put ourselves in that mindset. What was going on in the world in two thousand two uh, in pop culture? Okay, so I decided to skip the season recap thing. So there you go. So I'm just gonna go. We're Why? Because I I decided it doesn't it doesn't work. Like you're saying everything that we're already gonna say over the course of the episode. Okay. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. 
Um, oh, the other thing is, you probably already know this, but if you want to re-say something or something, that's fine. Just give yourself like a two-second pause so that then I have the ability to edit that out. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Okay. So we're going to take ourselves back to 2002, hop in the time machine, and go about what was going on in the world in 2002. Uh, and one of the... <laughs> you go... Always fun to look at what movies were popular in a given year. And one of the most surprising things I found was, Joseph, what was the most popular movie at the box office in 2002? Well, the original Spider-Man, I believe. That's correct. With our man, Tobey Maguire. Wonderful actor. And what's crazy is to look at what movies Spider-Man outgrossed in that year. Because you're talking about some titans of franchise movies in 2002. Well, let's just not talk about money. Let's talk about memes. I mean, we got Spider-Man, <laughs> Two Towers, Attack of the Clones. Think about how many memes have come from these three movies. I mean, but money money disappears. Memes last forever. So, you know, let's talk about Tobey Maguire, Cryface. Um, you know, Lord of the Rings. One does not simply. Attack of the Clones. I mean, the memes go on and on. So, you know, you can never discount that. <laughs> and... And what's really, what's fascinating is those are all movies that I feel like have had such an impact on people in our age. And so obviously that little bit is not sports related, but it's just really interesting to think about that's a, that's a heck of a movie year when you think of uh, a Harry Potter movie, a Star Wars movie, a Lord of the Rings movie, and a Spider-Man movie. And this is all like pre-Marvel and all that. For that to come out in 2002 is, uh, is really interesting. Uh, also in 2002, a little little TV show, Fox had to throw a show out there because they canceled a couple in the summer. So they threw out this little show called American Idol, A Search for a Superstar. Have you heard of that show? Uh, no. <laughs> no, I don't think it really didn't catch on that big as far as I know. Uh, but this person, Kelly Clarkson, I guess, wins the show. And apparently she's had a couple hits and I think now has a TV show of her, of her own. Uh but yeah, apparently that show became only like a gigantic success that was the number one show for about six years. So Clarkson won season one, it looks like. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Ruben Stutter won season two. Okay. That's right. I always thought he won the first season. but. Well, our American Idol podcast will be coming up soon as well. We'll deep dive into uh, every season of American Idol. The number Idol. one song, just to reemphasize the memes, okay. Nickelback had the number one song in 2002. So look at that photograph. Um, and so the, just kind of putting us in that mindset, this is 2002, soul patches are all over the place. I was back watching, uh, clips of old games for this, you know, and you look at the, the Oakland days, you look at some of these teams, soul patches, spiked hair, frosted tips, uh, it's all there and, uh, lovely to see. So that kind of just puts you in that mindset of, uh, of 2002. And now if we look at, uh, going into this season and going back into, we're following up 2001, we're following up 9-11 and all that. The Yankees play that World Series with the Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks win in seven. Uh, also, we should note our Mariners won 116 games and didn't go to the World Series. We're going to wave that flag all the time. You know, that's a great sweet 116. If you guys really love the Mariners for some weird reason. <laughs> They're not really worth loving, but we love them. Uh, you should watch that. That documentary, it's on the 116 win season. It's really good. I've seen it a million gajillion times. It's fun. And no matter how many times we watch it, the ending doesn't change. You can wish for it as much as you want. We lose to the Yankees. We lose to the Yankees. Foreshadowing. (laughs) 
So uh, going into this season, there's a couple really interesting things that I had pretty much forgotten about that researching this were fascinating. The first was Bud Selig, the former commissioner of baseball, had announced during that offseason that we're going to try to contract. We're going to lose two teams because it's going to bring up the quality of play. We're going to take a couple of these teams that aren't good and are dragging us down revenue-wise. At this time, the revenue sharing was only 80-20, so these uh, smaller clubs are not getting the same amount of money as the bigger clubs, not even close. And so they say, okay, you know what, Montreal Expos, Minnesota Twins, we're cutting you. You guys are gone. And it gets to the point where that's almost going to happen. A lawsuit eventually gets filed. Bud Selig backs off. But that's kind of the backstory going into this season. You know, I think the problem with that plan wasn't getting rid of two teams. It was the way he did it. He definitely should have read the Hunger Games and decided to pick two teams at random. So it could have been the Yankees and the Red Sox. Oh, boy, (laughs) that would have made it pretty interesting, in my opinion. Oh, no Dodgers and Yankees this year. And then you just kind of, you know, pick two at random and just slowly narrow it down. So my question is, if they pick those two at random, do they then have to fight it out? You pick like four teams, and they fight it out, and the last two standing get to stay? Or how would, how would that work? Uh, no, they get rid of two, and then they just promote the AAA teams. <laughs> yes. So the Biscuits could have been the major leagues if Selig could have gone through with this plan. I could see all the stars wanting to go play for the Montgomery Biscuits. Can you imagine if that was your worst worry right now? We have to get rid of teams. Now people are freaking streaming the game from their iPhones in the batter's box to hit home runs. <laughs> yes, but at that time it was uh, it was we gotta we gotta cut two teams. And what was really interesting was one of the teams that they decided not to cut was the Milwaukee Brewers, which if you remember at this time was actually owned by Major League Baseball. Bud Selig was the majority owner of the Milwaukee Brewers, and yet that team we're gonna keep. Mm. <laughs> um, so. You have that going in. Of course, you start to have the steroid rumblings, people going, these guys are really big and hitting a lot of home runs. And in 2001, Barry Bonds kind of broke the game, hit 73 home runs, on-base percentage of 500, and everyone started to go, okay, this doesn't make any sense. You're old. You shouldn't be doing this right now. And that that kind of gives us, going into this season, kind of the, the framework from which it's all going to go from, which is everyone's juiced. The Minnesota Twins are pissed. And, uh, and of course, it's baseball. So you've got a labor disagreement on the way as well, uh, which they managed to solve right before the August 31st deadline during the season. There almost was no playoffs again, which would have been the second time in eight years, uh, which is pretty pertinent considering right now that baseball can't get its act together again. When is there not a labor disagreement? <laughs> I can't think of a sport that has more constant labor issues than baseball well it wasn't i guess well 10 years ago the nba had almost had a labor issue yeah they didn't start the season until christmas day i think that was maybe 10 years ago um it's and just so weird to see how nba like labor disagreements progressed like before players are like i just want to make a regular salary like a regular person now it's like i want 30 million bro and play 12 games this year that's what it's <clears throat> blake snell so <laughs> Uh, so that's, that's what, uh, is going into this season. That's kind of what, what it looks like. Now let's walk through how, uh, if we walk through the season standings and take a look at, uh, at how this season went down. One thing that's really interesting, I think, is the top heaviness, because obviously this is something we hear about all the time, right? In today's baseball, 
It's how top-heavy it is. None of the divisions are close. Teams are tanking, all those sorts of things. You take a look at these standings. The New York Yankees and Oakland A's both win 103 games, okay, and win their divisions easily, right? The Minnesota Twins win 94 games. They win the Central. The Braves win 101 games. They win the National League East. The Diamondbacks win 98 and win the West, and the Cardinals win 97 and win the Central. The only division in Major League Baseball that wasn't won by double digits was the NL West, where the Diamondbacks beat the Giants by two and a half games, but the Giants won that wild card. Not to mention there's 350 win teams. You got Tampa. Tampa was awful. 55 wins for Tampa, 55 wins for Detroit, and uh, 56 wins for Milwaukee. What was it? Ne- the next year Detroit wins like 43 games or something like that? <laughs> They get even worse somehow. <laughs> that it was I them and uh, that Mets team from like the '60s or whatever were in competition for worst team of all time. I think I think Detroit wins 41 games or something in 2003. Something really really bad. That'll be for our, for a, di- a yeah. different podcast. Uh, that an epically epically bad team, and these teams were pretty epically bad too. I mean, we're very familiar with losing more than 100 games here in Seattle, uh, but those are. That's bad baseball. And so what's interesting is people talk about now, right, Joseph, that, oh, all the teams are tanking and trying to get good draft picks and everything's too spread apart. It doesn't look a lot different here in 2002. It's kind of weird because there's no sure bets in the MLB draft. Like NBA, you pretty much know who the stars are going to be, you know, coming out. But in the MLB, like, a guy can get injured like two years in the minors and you don't even know he ever existed. So I just feel like that's just not even an effective approach. Yeah, I th- you're, the years are just littered with guy after guy who was the next big thing. Almost t- like we're talking about Moneyball here, right? The movie, it's it's Billy Bean all over again. Rarely do you get the guys that you draft and they like work all the way up and then they end up being a star for you. Like You just never see that really happen anymore. It's... Yeah, and there's so much player movement. Prospects are used in trades all the time and everything. It's really, it's really interesting that way. Um... And so it's just, uh, it's really fascinating to see that dichotomy. You even had, uh, you know, the American League East, the Red Sox don't win the wild card, but those two teams went over 90 games and the rest of that division's below 500. And that's pretty much the way it is throughout baseball. One thing to highlight, our beloved Seattle Mariners are coming off their 116-win season. They have high hopes again. They bring back most of that team from 2001 they lost some pitching but they bring back most of that team well and they actually had three gold gloves this year in 2002 who were they said Olerud, Ichiro and Brett Boone were all gold glove and uh yeah John Olerud with the sweet glove over at first base um it's that's always an award that I've found interesting a gold glove to the first baseman uh because as someone who played first base myself it's almost like yeah good job you you know you caught the ball really well you didn't muff up too many ground balls. We'll I feel like I feel like it's pretty important because if you have balls in the dirt, how many you can pick is pretty important in terms of just game management for pickoff moves and stuff. But my favorite part is how all three of those players were not on steroids. Olerud, Ichiro, Brett Boone, definitely <laughs> none of them on steroids at all. So it's just like you don't have to be on steroids to be a gold glover. Brett Boone, man, his stat line is one of the that is one of the all time great 
steroid stat lines. That 2001 season, he hits 43 home runs and 131 RBIs, I want to say. Well, if you watch that Sweet 116 docu- documentary, they talk about how great Brett Boone was, and there's mm-hmm. zero self-awareness about his steroid use. They're just like, he was amazing. He made some adjustments at the plate, right? That yeah. was the phrase. It he made some like- adjustments in his biceps, and it just <laughs> took off. Uh, but he was he is as 2002 looking as anybody too. If you look back at his look, he had the frosted tips going on, um, had the little the little soul patch, the little goatee, um, and that guy that guy was killing it. Uh, it's interesting that he won a Gold Glove because I don't he didn't make this All Star team, which was really interesting. Uh, when we get to the All Stars, we'll talk about that. A couple other things of note from the season standings. One is, uh, so the Mariners lose out on the wild card by five and a half games to the Angels. On July 2nd, when you look at the standings on July 2nd of that season, the Seattle Mariners were tied for the best record in baseball with the New York Yankees. 53 wins. They play 500 ball the rest of the way, and the Oakland A's and LA Angels, or sorry, Anaheim Angels at this time, go on two of the craziest runs that you'll ever see. Of course, the A's, everyone knows about them winning 20 in a row and all that because of the movie. But they didn't just do that. I mean, it was ridiculous, the run that Oakland goes on. They go something like 50-22 and 22 for the last 72 games. Well, everyone gives Texas a bunch of crap for signing A-Rod and how bad they were. But they still won 70 games in arguably the best division that year. No, it's totally true. I mean, this division is ridiculous because the Angels win the World Series. The A's win over 100 games with freaking Randy Velarde playing at shortstop and, or second base and stuff. And the Mariners are the the 116 win Mariners from a year ago, and so the Rangers were stuck in that ridiculous division back when the West was only four teams. So they had to play these three teams a lot. And down the stretch of this season, the A's and the Angels just were not losing. No. So uh, taking a look at it, one other thing, the if you go to the National League. Uh, and we're trying not to stay American League biased here, even though that's uh, the league that we tend to pay more attention to because the Mariners are in it. One interesting thing, the St. Louis Cardinals, in July of that season, uh, Daryl Kyle, their pitcher, uh, dies suddenly. And, you know, it's one of those things, shakes up the whole team, motivates everybody, all of that. What's crazy is uh, Daryl Kyle's number was 57. All right, you ready for this? Chris Berman brings it up during one of their playoff game broadcasts. From his death on for the rest of the regular season, they win 57 games. They go 21-4 and four down the stretch of the season to go into the playoffs and then beat Arizona in the first round of that playoffs. So the Cardinals are also, you've got the Angels, the A's, and the Cardinals all just red hot uh, through this season, which is just crazy. Um, and then speaking of contraction, again, the Minnesota Twins, who Bud Selig was trying to put in the grave win the Central by 13 and a half games, which, again, when we're used to our Seattle teams being ones that are put down all the time, that had to feel amazing for Minnesota. Yeah. But then, like, the Minnesota is, like, the Seattle of the East. Like, <laughs> who cares about the Timberwolves? <laughs> you know, the Vikings are occasionally good, but people kind of forget they're there sometimes. And so, same thing with the Twins. Yeah, they, they, he's trying. Bud Selig's trying to KO the Twins, and ten years before they'd won a World Series with Kirby Puckett and all that. So um, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think uh, they, I'm sure they feel. I'm sure that was a season that was incredibly therapeutic for them to uh, to go on a run like that. They should have just gotten rid of the Devil Rays. <laughs> Although they are, they just brought them. They should have gotten rid of them. 
<laughs> Four years after you uh, make an expansion team, just you go, admit the mistake and move on. <laughs> Eighteen years later, Major League Baseball still has not admitted that mistake. There's still technically a baseball team in well, Tampa Bay. What the Marlins added? Uh, not that long before Tampa Bay, it was in the early '90s. Before that, Florida had no teams, I guess. So that's interesting. Yeah. Mm. Um. And, of course, the Marlins are hilarious, too, with their two World Series wins on two playoff appearances, which is quite a feat. Yeah, weird. And, again, with the kind of teams that the Mariners have had over the years, to think that the Marlins have two World Series championships and those, the Mariners Those teams none. were loaded with pitching, though. Ryan Dempster, Dontrell Willis. It's true. It's true. They were playing with it. The 2003 team had a young Miguel Cabrera. Um, so they had they had people, for sure. Uh, and now, something that's really fun, I want to go through... Some of the, these uh, all-star teams, okay, from this season, because again, we want to focus on just how crazy the hitting was in 2002 compared to today, and it's particularly compared to you know just a few years ago when it seemed like nobody was hitting. Check out this lineup, okay? The American League: Jorge Posada is playing catcher, Jason Giambi's playing first, Alfonso Soriano's playing second. So you got three Yankees there for one. Uh, at short is A Rod. Manny Ramirez, Tory Hunter, Ichiro is the outfield. Okay? That's that's a crazy good lineup. What I want to toss in here, playing third base, the starting third baseman and hitting second for that ridiculous American League All-Star team is Shea Hillenbrand. Shea Hillenbrand? Shea Hill. Have you heard of Shea Hillenbrand, well, Joseph? Why is Carlos Delgado not playing third? Was he DHing at this time? Carlos Delgado? Yeah. Um, Carlos Delgado is not on this All-Star team. That's so strange. That's a strange... I don't know if there was an injury this year. Um, actually, that might not be a bad thing for me to look up really quick. Let's see. Jays. 2002. Played 143 games. Um, 33 homers, 108 RBIs. Batted 277. Just wasn't good enough to mm. make that. So that season, he hits 277, he hits 30 home runs, drives in 100 runs, but playing first base was such a ridiculous position in 2002. The numbers people were putting up was so insane. I don't know, that smells like a quarter-billion-dollar contract today. <laughs> Bryce, Har- Bryce Harper doesn't even do half that, and he gets uh, $400 million. So he Delgado is certainly one of those guys, and we're going to highlight a few of them here, that would be thought of completely differently if they were playing 10 years later. Uh, and one of them is absolutely, uh, and I want to focus on him, which really is interesting, is Alfonso Soriano. He's the, a starter on this All-Star team and was a, a legitimate star because he was playing for the Yankees. But you just think about some of the numbers he put up. The 39 homers, 40 stolen bases, he was doing the whole 40-40 thing there for three or four years. And yet he's not really thought of as like an automatic first ballot Hall of Famer, best ever kind of thing, right? But the numbers he was putting up were pretty ridiculous, and he doesn't have necessarily the steroid guy build, you know? 
Yeah, but you just have to be suspicious of anyone in that era. But unfortunately. Yeah, and he was also sharing a locker room with Giambi, which, uh, you know, could have just leaked into his cereal at I that mean, point. I mean, you're sharing, you know, sharing a locker room with either Giambi, something's going to bulk up either the gut or the upper body. It doesn't matter, so you just got to watch out for that. Uh, so that, that all-star team is really interesting. Uh, and then you look at that National League team, Mike Piazza's at catcher, Todd Helton's playing first, Jose Vidro's at second. Uh, the Phillies have the left side of the infield, Scott Rowland and Jimmy Rollins. And at, so at this time, Scott Rowland's playing for the Phillies in this All-Star game. By the time the playoffs roll around, he's playing for the Cardinals. Mm. And he's one of the guys keying their run. Uh, he plays as well as anybody down the stretch and really keys that big run that they go on. And then they sweep the Diamondbacks in the first round. And then that outfield, this outfield is Bonds, Guerrero, Sosa. You got two automatic steroid <laughs> guys, but I don't know about Guerrero. Probably not, but I don't know. Yeah, you, sometimes you just don't know. Um, and at the very least, he was one of the guys who, if he did do it, was smarter about it. Because the guys like Sosa and Bonds are the guys that were ruining it for the rest of the guys by just making it so it's like it's like when you cheat on the test, right? And you're like, okay, well, we want to get a good score, but we don't want to make it obvious that we cheated on the test and we stole the answers. And so we don't want to get the perfect score. But Bonds and Sosa went ahead, and not only did they get the perfect score, they got the extra credit. Yeah. And everyone else is going, you're ruining it for the rest of us. And within a couple of years, we've got steroid tests. At least Guerrero was fun to watch throw from the outfield. Yeah. <clears throat> no, I completely agree. He was, he was ridiculous just to watch in general. Uh, I do have to point out, for the sake of our dad, who I hope listens at some point to this, uh, Guerrero brought in probably my dad's least favorite athletic clothing style of all time, which was the baseball pants over the cleats. <laughs> how many times has he talked about how much he hates that? Yeah, I mean, I hate that. That's just stupid. <laughs> looks weird. Um, and then some of the pitchers, Mark Burley, uh, Roy Halladay, Pedro Martinez. Um, and you were going through some Pedro stats and was just kind of blown away by what he was doing in this uh, era. In 2000, he had a 1.73 ERA, which is insane to think about. I think Freddie... Oh, no, no, maybe that was two. Yeah, that was 2000. In 2001, Freddy Garcia had a 2.9 or something, which is still very low. But an ERA in the ones is kind of unreal, considering that Boston team was not good. Yeah, and considering how ridiculous, again, everyone, the strike zone is smaller. That was one of the big things that I took away from going back and watching some of these old games was how much smaller the strike zone was in, in 2002 than it is now. Uh, nothing below the belly, uh, above the belly button. It was crazy. And, you know, anything below the knees, they weren't really giving you a lot off the edges. It was really interesting to watch. This is obviously pre, we don't have the box right yeah. on the TV telling us that every pitch is an inch outside and the ump screwed up. And so the umps really can do whatever they want. Um, which was really interesting. So that's, that's just, uh, some of the things here. Tom Glavin and John Smoltz are still pitching for the Braves, so they're on this National League All-Star team. Um, some of the some of the names that don't even manage to start on this American League All-Star team, Miguel Tejada ends up winning the MVP this season. He does not start at short uh, because A Rod's starting at short. Yeah, the two hundred and fifty dollars man is starting at short. You've got 
Derek Jeter's not starting at short. Nomar Garcia Para is not starting at short. There's a lot of good shortstops in that AL. That's a crazy number of shortstops. And so I grew up with this idea that the shortstops always, that was like your best player was your shortstop, which of course is not the case. Usually your shortstop, you just hope that he can hit 200 while he fields for you. So it was a weird, it was a weird time to be, to be growing up in that. I'd also like to point out that Randy Wynn made an all-star team. It's a former Mariner, right? <laughs> former Mariner. Randy Wynn as a Devil Ray, because someone from the Devil Rays had to make the all-star team. And Robert Fick, who I will completely admit, we are supposed to be sports historians here. I have never heard of Robert Fick. Robert Fick. <clears throat> Does it ring? Robert Fick does not ring uh, any bells. Robert Fick is the all-star for the Tigers, because someone from the Tigers had to be on the all-star team. Well, they had Dean Palmer for a while. Juan Gonzalez, did he retire by then? Yeah, maybe? Juan Gonzalez was not a Tiger at this point. Yeah, they had Brian Moeller and Dean Palmer, but they must have not had good seasons. Well, I I bet no one was having a good season, but they had to pick somebody. Well, to win 50 games, <laughs> you got to be trying. Uh, it's, it's along the lines of... Um, Dan Vogelbach being the Mariners all-star oh, last season, yeah. and he might not even make the team when we actually get back to baseball this year. It's That's uh, that's the struggle for the, the bad teams with nobody good on them. Uh, last thing that I want to point out about this all-star game, this is the infamous 7-7 tie. They run out of pitchers. Both teams do, and after 11 innings, Bud Selig decides to call the game. It's a 7-7 tie. There's no MVP. And it's considered, I remember when this happened, how bad this was considered for baseball. And like, I get like, okay, yeah, it's not good. You had to call it a tie. That's pretty embarrassing. But this was considered a meltdown of epic proportions by the media. I didn't think it was that big a deal. I don't really care. It's an all-star game. You got concerned with the pitcher's arms. So I don't really see the big deal. I didn't either. After at this point, they start bringing on more and more pitchers now onto the All Star teams. But when this happened, it's like, yeah, you know, we weren't expecting a 15 inning All Star game, no. and nobody really, none of the players, they all got to get out and play the next day or you know a day after that. Yeah, I don't see the big deal. Yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, we go through that. Also, uh, Jason Giambi won the home run derby that year. Uh, beat Sammy Sosa in the final. This was a heck of a year for uh, for Giambi. I believe he hit 50 home runs as well. And that brings us to the MVP voting for 2002, which, again, this American League MVP voting is an insane list. Your top nine is Miguel Tejada, A-Rod, Alfonso Soriano, Garrett Anderson, who we're going to have a talk about when we talk about the Angels. Talk about a guy that completely gets forgotten, right? You don't. What do you know about Garrett Anderson? I remember, I mean, I've never really seen him play, but I've heard of Garrett Anderson. But, I mean, here's a guy who's fourth in the MVP voting the year his team wins the World Series and put up numbers. I mean, the guy hit 306. He had 29 home runs. That's considered a you know fantastic MVP caliber. Probably going to win the MVP this year if you do that. But that's kind of pedestrian for that time. Right, for that time. And so, again, it's one of those things where you, if he was a Reuter, then he did a good job of not being super obvious. And if he wasn't, then you feel bad for him. That's not a lot of home runs. so That's true. That's true. Um, and then Jason Giambi's fifth. Jason Giambi is fifth in the MVP voting. He gets walked 109 times, hits 314, 
and hits 41 home runs with 122 RBIs, and the guy gets fifth in the MVP voting. That would be automatic today. Automatic MVP today. Uh, Torrey Hunter gets sixth. Jim Tomey hits 52 home runs and is seventh in the MVP voting. Maglu Ordonez, Manny Ramirez is ninth. Um, I mean, that's just crazy. The The highest uh, any of the pitchers gets, Barry Zito uh, wins the Cy Young Award this year. He gets 13th in the MVP voting. Um, but that is one of the things that I wanted to talk about with you, which is when you watch, say, the Moneyball movie, what everyone remembers is, oh, they brought in Scott Hatterberg and all these random relief pitchers and the submarine relief pitcher, and suddenly the team got really good. And what they forget about is the ridiculous pitching that they already had. There's four great starters, right? Mark Tim, Mulder. Tim Hudson. And Zito. Zito. Yeah. Uh, not to mention um, uh, Kevin Apier. Yeah, Kevin Apier. That's a that's a crazy good rotation that was there. I mean, Billy Bean brought those guys in a few years before, but it's not like all those guys were brought in in 2002. No. So, I mean, you have to have good pitching for your team to have longevity terms of being able to go to the playoffs and play through a full year right because hitting's really going to go through slumps so you got to have the pitching there to uh compensate yeah and then this really seems like an mvp award that miguel tejada wins because of how much everyone loved the a's because he i mean his numbers are great he hits 308 34 home runs 131 rbis he's playing short but like his war we're not going to get super into sabermetrics or anything on here but his war is 5.7 A-Rods is 8.8 this season. Giambi's is 7.1. Tomy's is 7.4. Uh, Zito as a pitcher is 7.1. And so it just seems like everyone kind of got behind him because he had 21 of the 27 first place votes. It just seems like everyone got behind Tejada because he was the guy playing the hottest down the stretch for the hottest team. Well, a lot of the voters are managers, right? Or people involved. You know exactly votes for the All-Stars. For for the MVP, MVP voting, excuse, I think it's yeah. sports writers. The sports writers, yeah, okay. yeah. So I would, that would make sense if it's managers because they see them play and they can understand the impact. But if it's sports writers, then well, I don't know. No, I sports I, writers are weird. <laughs> sports writers are weird, and sports writers love a narrative, right? They love oh, w- w- this is the guy. We're gonna jump on this bandwagon. It's gonna create a great story. I want to know how many sports writers were basically deciding going into the playoffs, Oakland has won this thing already, and let's get the books ready. I don't know. I wasn't around. <laughs> I wasn't reading sports articles. Um, and then the National League uh, MVP voting is, of course, a blowout. Barry Bonds gets every vote. Um, his season is another one for the ages. He doesn't have the 73 home runs. He doesn't break the game that way. Well, you have to get a ball thrown to you in the strike zone on occasion to do that. <laughs> his his walk number, you ready for this? 198 walks. And walk two out of every three games. Or, yeah, two out of every three games, he's just getting walked. Yeah, it's absolutely insane. He's His on-base percentage is 582. And even while getting walked 200 times, he bats 370. Yeah, so even when he got something to hit, he did hit it. He did it. He was it was absolutely insane. You know, even if the guy's on steroids, hitting at that average is still pretty impressive. That's that's an interesting thing. So, I mean, obviously the should steroid guys be in the Hall of Fame conversation has been debated ad nauseum. But someone like Barry Bonds, who, yes, was roided to high heaven, right? At this point in his career, Barry Bonds is more machine than man. But 
still the way he's hitting does he deserve any sort of that you know talk i think if he was didn't handle it so poorly mm. press wise maybe he should but just because he's been such a tool about it sure still never really publicly still really, it. it's like really we all know like in that era it was legal and it's not now but if you were just like yeah i did i wouldn't have a problem with it it was within the rules at the time there's nothing wrong with that but he's been so annoying he's just about handled it. Handled it like him and Giambi and Clemens had just handled it so poorly that that it's really difficult. You think to yeah. to get behind? They that. just disgraced the game so much at that point that it's just hard for. I feel like it'd be hard to consider them, unless you had the outlook that everything is just stat based and you don't care who the player is, and that's obviously not true. The MLB loves people who they perceive to be good, so that's not really consistent viewpoint. So, yeah. No, I agree with you. I would love it if they could just look at what the player did and leave out the rest of it. Right, but that's not really realistic. For No, I yeah, I completely agree with you. It'd be great if we could just go, okay, this is what this guy did, and that means he should get in the Hall of Fame, but Pete Rose is not in the Hall of Fame, and Barry Bonds is still in the Hall of Fame, and even Mark McGuire is not in the Hall of Fame. And those, it, It's obvious then that, that those things matter. I don't know. I think Mark McGuire was pretty open about it. Marvel Ware has been more open about it. it. Even the guys that have been somewhat open about it really have gotten penalized unless you took the almost the Garrett Anderson approach or whatever guy, maybe the Luis Gonzalez approach of not being as obvious about it. Uh, well, Luis Jeff- Gonzalez is pretty freaking obvious. Yeah. I read an article, 2004, a, a book put out an article about the upcoming season. And Luis Gonzalez, there's an article on him about what he did to add, you know, whatever amounts of muscle he had. And it was, oh, it was creatine or whatever. <laughs> Not 30 pounds. But creatine laced with HGH. Laced with something else in his Cocoa Puffs Wheaties combo. He just, he went to the same restaurants McGuire and Bond did. And <laughs> just said, I'll have what they're having. I'll have what they're having, my friend. <laughs> uh but that, that approach of... Because, like, Jeff Bagwell is in the Hall of Fame, right? Yeah, and he was such obvious. And he was pretty obvious. But his numbers weren't the ridiculous video game numbers of Bonds or Sosa or Maguire. That's just dumb, because it's just like, oh, you can take roids, but as long as you were bad, we'll let you in. I don't really understand the, <laughs> the logic. So let Maguire in. But if you're a tool, don't let him in. Yeah, I, that's that's where I'm at with that. Um, I agree with you. Because, like, Ortiz, I think... There's proof, I think, that came out a while ago that he was on stuff. Was there? He never yeah. had a positive test. Never had a positive test, but there's proof. And yeah. So, or like Manny. Manny's been tested positive. He's such an ambassador times. for the game at this point, especially internationally, that I'm okay if he gets in the Oh, he did get in the Hall of Fame, right? No, no, oh, no. Not no. Yet. I would be okay with it. Mm-hmm. But if you're such a tool about it, like A-Rod or something. <laughs> Gosh, yeah. If you just handle it really poorly, then... You know, that's where I get a little upset. Sure, sure. Ryan Braun. Boy, you want to talk about oh, yeah. badly. Uh, and then one other thing to mention from this NL MVP voting, the runner-up for the National League MVP is a young, supposedly 20-year-old third base slash left fielder for the Cardinals named Albert Pujols. 25-year-old? <laughs> This was one of the things I had totally forgotten about this, that he was playing third base and left field for Arizona for the first couple of years. Yep. Because Tino Martinez had been brought in from the Yankees to play first base for St. Louis. 
Um, and I was watching a couple of their games, and the guy could move all right. It was now he's the slowest player in baseball, but at that time he he's could move still okay. playing. Yeah. <laughs> oh. That's right. Didn't the Angels give him a big contract? Like a ten-year giant uh, one that they're still between him and Trout. They got nothing left for, <laughs> for anybody else. Just gonna have them. Yep, pretty much. Uh, well, then they're paying uh, Anthony Rendon now too. Oh jeez. Because because uh, the division wasn't hard enough for the Mariners oh, already. Oh no, gosh. Um. So yeah. So you, you look through that. Uh, Lance Berkman also has a fantastic year for Houston with 42 home runs. Uh, so that's that's worth pointing out. Well, guys that are under like Craig Biggio was a Reuter. Right, and he's and, and he him. made the Hall of Fame too. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand the logic. Yeah. Uh, but it's baseball, so logic often. Biggio was more of a contact hitter. So. It's true. It's true. Um, and one of the uh, Jeff Kent. Future survivor player Jeff Kent uh, gets sixth in the MVP voting here. He uh, has 37 home runs and 108 RBIs. He's an interesting one because he doesn't really get a ton of Hall of Fame talk. He gets votes. He's still on the Same ballot. Like Ellis Burks and Rob Nen. Right, a lot of those Giants guys that were overshadowed. Marvin Bernard. Richard Aurelia, yeah. All a part of that team that goes to the World Series this year and almost wins it all. Um, and then Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling are both in the top 10 as pitchers. Uh, Randy is absolutely ridiculous this season. Uh, he holds opponents to a 161 batting average. He pitches say. to like 2010. He pitches for a long for time. Yankees. I feel like everyone, all players just like fly off into the sunset with the Yankees for some reason. Like <laughs> A-Rod, Randy, Roger Clemens. Yeah, um, a lot of players did it. I'm trying to think back through. I mean... We think Giambi, of like Giambi so many players. Was with the, yeah, there's a lot of players who just kind of write up. Kind of dish to Shara now. Yeah. Well, and that was the thing. The Yankees, during this first decade, they were the team with the giant payroll that was bringing in all the old steroid sluggers. David Justice. <laughs> old man Justice. Old man Justice. Like, all our players, it's like, oh, you're old and kind of washed up. Let's just sign you and send you to the farm. <laughs> Put you out to pasture. Put you out to pasture. Um, so yeah, uh, Randy has a 2.32 ERA and Kurt Schilling has a 3.23 ERA. Eric Gagne has a 1.97 ERA, has 50, how many saves? 52 saves, uh, the this Diamondbacks? season. No, Eric Gagne was pitched for the Dodgers. Oh, okay. 52 saves. He is the guy who still holds the record at one point. He had 81 straight. Yeah, that's insane. Which is which is ridiculous. Um, Barry Zito beats Pedro out for the Cy Young. Uh, again, kind of the A's had the momentum. They're the ones that made the playoffs, won 103 games. So Pedro had the lower ERA, uh, but Zito pitched in five more games and had more innings. He gets the Cy Young there and in Randy... freaking Fenway. Yeah, in Fenway, right? The that bizarre uh, park in Fenway where left field fly balls go to die. So good. And then Randy beats out Kurt Schilling for the National League uh, Cy Young Award as well. Uh, he wins it unanimously. Uh, so, yeah, okay, so moving on. Let's see what we got here. Uh, it's pop quiz time. Okay, do re- reintroduce that. All right, so today it's time for the pop quiz. 
You gotta name the two players who played in the 2002 season who are still active today. Oof. Oof. Okay. All and, right. Uh, Pujols doesn't count. We already talked about him. <laughs> okay. Because he, he stinks. So you gotta name. He's he isn't really active anymore. No, he doesn't count. Okay, so two players who were playing in 2002 who are now playing today. Or we're going to play. We're going to play if if uh, there is a season. Sure. Um, the clock starts now. <laughs> who? So that obviously they'd have to be really young. Um, or maybe not. Maybe they're just <laughs> super old now. Uh, let, let's... Um, I'll give you a hint. Big old gut. Big old gut? What? So, some okay. So, a, a fat dude then, who's still playing? Um. Oh, oh, oh. So Bartolo Colon, yeah, right? Bartolo Colon. Duh. Yeah, yeah. And then Sabathia, the other one. No, Sabathia retired. Did he? Yeah. They, there was a big article about how he got in super great shape. Oh, okay. But the other one, also a pitcher. Also a pitcher and former not- Mariner. Oh. Um, is Jamie Moyer still out there pitching? No, we retired like <laughs> six years ago. Uh, Freddie Garcia is not still pitching. I'm going through all of them. Um, Joe Pinero is not still pitching. Uh, all they, those they weren't a Mariner too. during this season. During this season, but at some point they became a Mariner. Yeah. Um, this guy's actually played for like seventy five thousand teams. So really, yeah, he's a uh, journeyman. Journeyman relief pitcher? Yep. Journeyman relief pitcher. Bounced from team to team. Must have been really young in 2002. Still throws gas. Um, interesting. You okay, might we're, have... We're starting the clock. Five. <laughs> uh, you stumped me. You stumped me on that one. Who's who's the other one? Fernando Rodney. Fernando? Oh, gosh. Yeah, he has been along. He's been around for a long time. Oh my gosh! Um, I definitely. How many kids do you think, when he was his few years with the Mariners, were doing the little hat to the side thing because they thought it was really cool? So annoying, <laughs> and the arrow thing. <laughs> the arrow thing. Really... I remember specifically we were up by six. He gave up five. We won by one, and then he did the arrow thing for the save. And it's like that's not cool. That was when that became no longer cool. Was when he was losing us game after game. His ERA was like nine. <laughs> Somehow he had a lot of saves. Break out the arrow. Uh, okay, well, thank you. All right. Uh, so, a couple of things. We talked about some of the things that uh, were surprising already, but just for me, again, the whole top heaviness, the league was incredibly top heavy this year. You had the Yankees who were going to the World Series basically every year at this time. Uh, and one thing that was really interesting was I think it gets lost to history the run that Angels team went on with the whole the rally monkey and all that the rally caps uh, as a little kid I mean playing baseball you got behind you did the rally cap thing you screamed like hey where's the rally monkey like that was such a thing and they were coming back they were below 500 at the all-star break come roaring back they also catch the Mariners and keep the Mariners from getting the wild card uh it was just, the, that poor Mariners team went to 95 game. payback. <laughs> You're right. It's exactly what it was. It was the ghost of Mark Langston coming back to uh, to haunt the Mariners that year um, and keep them out of the playoffs. And so you've got the Angels doing that just crazy comeback. And even in game six of the World Series, coming back and evening that series. 
Um, so the, those were interesting things. One thing that really stood out to me about how baseball has changed in 18 years since this, uh, obviously the players are no longer inflated. Um, but Both figuratively and literally. <laughs> some of those guys just look like an air pump was hooked up to them. And they just, I mean, it is insane. Well, when you take HRT or D-ball, um, which is probably the drugs they're using at the time, you add about 20 pounds of water weight as well as... The, the muscle so you will sort of have this puffed inflated look well that makes that makes a lot of sense because also at this time the uh the pants particularly tight pants were really in for the baseball players if you look at what everyone's wearing in 2002 so these guys do look like bodybuilders because the sleeves are up the biceps are showing um and the pants are tight and they just look absolutely jacked and so that makes a lot of sense if they're also carrying around a nice little bit of water weight to yeah. make it look better uh so you got all that. Also, I found it really interesting uh, watching some of these playoff games, starting pitchers going seven innings, relief pitchers coming in and facing four, five batters. You don't see that today. Well, we will now because of the new rules. It's a good point. It's a good point with the three batter rule. Um, has kind of almost people started Tampa Bay started trolling last year with like <laughs> starting relievers and. It's a good point. Yeah, uh, they almost again almost breaking the game, and then yeah. Major League Baseball having to say stop breaking our game. Yeah, well, I think it was kind of interesting, but I don't know if it was a formula with any longevity. Uh, in terms of the all the relief pitchers, yeah, I, I, that was one thing. Going through some of these old rosters too was almost every team was carrying ten or eleven relief pitch uh, pitchers total, ten or eleven pitchers total. Today, it's 13. Yeah. You've only got three bench guys at the most. And now team, teams were having five, six bench guys. They Every team had a guy who was, his job was pinch running. You know, there was a, a plane for the Cardinals, or I'm sorry, the Diamondbacks. They brought a guy up um, who had something like 60-some-odd pinch hit appearances that season. Yeah, well, people have found out that stealing's just not really that effective, so they've just kind of stopped. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Um, and so instead they found that what is effective is a gajillion guys throwing 98 miles an hour out of your bullpen yeah. one after another. Um, I think the average velocity last year was 93.2, I want to say. I'm sure that's higher but than it was in 2002. The fastballs thrown was less. Oh, interesting. interesting. So fastballs have actually trended down, but velocity's trended up. And everyone's throwing cutters and sliders? A lot of breaking stuff. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, I believe that. Um... It was also interesting. You see guys today, of course, throwing max effort all the time, right? That's the big thing everybody's doing. You see guys, some of the, especially guys who were older pitchers in 2002, um, coming in and, and the the motion they have is obviously a pitching motion that can go 130 pitches because the effort level just doesn't look the same. It's much more of like free-flowing, a good tempo, you know, nice and easy. It's not like there isn't effort, but the motion is just different. That's why you gotta watch guys like Roger Clemens or Martinez. They have really still explosive deliveries from that era. Yeah, yeah. Well, and they they were per- certainly but successful. someone like that would be like Barry Zito, who had that sort of like because he didn't throw that hard. No, no. I I can't tell you as a left-handed kid growing up who pitched who threw a big curveball how many times I got Barry Zito comparisons. Well, I don't know how many people people know that Barry Zito's a goofball, right? Guys, no, do you want to do you want to tell our of, audience? Kind of a loon, but well, <laughs> well, he's a cool guy, but he's kind of a loon. But like, um, 
the organization I'm a part of, the main guy, he worked with Barry Zito, and he sent him film because this was about three or four years ago when he was trying to make a career come back. And uh, he sent him film from, he had this, like, kid in a park who was filling him throwing into, like, a net in, like, a San Francisco park somewhere, like, wanting him to look at video. And then he comes to town to visit, doesn't bring his wallet, <laughs> and then just leaves at the end says, oh, don't worry, my, my people will pay you, whoever his people are. And he sends him a check a couple of weeks later. So he's just kind of a kind of an interesting guy. I remember one of the big things when he was winning the Cy Young and all that was that he played, I want to say it was the trumpet. Um, one of the horn instruments, too. He's, He's just, just kind that. of a California you know, <laughs> kind of dude, right? Yeah. And uh, Barry Zito, if you're listening, we'd love to have you on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, really quick, so obviously we're going to go through, for all these seasons that we go through, um, what happened in that year's draft. Because normally it, it is relevant to the season. For baseball, it's a little different because it just is about how it projects down the road. But I wanted to catch you on this. The number one pick that season was a pitcher taken by the Pirates named Brian Bullington. Have oh, you... yeah, Brian Bullington. <laughs> of course, right? The bowler. <laughs> I don't know who this guy is. He uh, ended up making, I want to say, three career starts. Um, That's more than Danny Holtzson. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Uh, yeah, we're still sad about that. Poor Danny Holtzson. Um, hey, he's still playing. The, don't don't count Cubs, him out yet. He's in the Cubs organization. Is he? Well, when he becomes a star for the Cubs, then we can be sad about that. Uh, BJ Upton is the number two pick. He was good. Yeah. I mean, he, he was so incredibly hyped, and he ends up being the, the number two pick. Never was a stud or anything like that, but at least he, you know, made, a, made major league rosters played. There were seven all stars taken in the first round of this draft Zach Grinke, Prince Fielder. Uh, Joe Saunders, Scott Casimir, Nick Swisher, and Cole Hamels. Oh, and uh, Matt Kane. so eight. A lot of aces. A lot of aces in this draft. Um, and then in later rounds, Joey Votto, John Lester, Jonathan Broxton, Brian McCann, and Curtis Granderson uh, all go in rounds two through four. And in the 10th round, the Angels grab Howie Kendrick. So, you know, there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of guys in this draft. I didn't think of Granderson and Votto as the same age. That's really interesting, isn't it? I thought it? Granderson was much older. Yeah, well, it's possible. I I didn't do the look into it. It's possible that Granderson was a college guy and Votto was a high school guy. Yeah. Um, but it's it's still interesting to think about. I mean, that's a lot of talent coming out of that draft. I would also like to point out that none of those people were selected by the Mariners because we're not good at that. Um, but that's a lot of talent in that draft. That was pretty loaded. Yeah. Uh and then speaking of the Mariners, we're going to do our quick Seattle report. Uh, we've already talked somewhat about it, but just for you uh, Seattle fans out there, this will be therapeutic. We, it doesn't, the national media obviously doesn't care at all about the Seattle Mariners or anything like that. And the Mariners have not really given them any reason so to. Remember three years ago, we we're going to win the World Series. <laughs> everyone was hyping us for some weird reason. Well, we had the best record in baseball at pretty much the halfway point. No, no, no. three years ago. Before oh. the season, it was going to be us versus the Marlins. People were saying, <laughs> "Was that the the Robinson Cano Nelson Cruz team?" Ago. Yeah, four years ago's team. Everyone was everyone was saying that, and then we lost a hundred games. Yeah, yeah, that's that sounds like us. We um, all knew it that we weren't <laughs> going to be good. But. It's uh, you can't have any faith in the Seattle Mariners, and this season they're coming off the 116 wins. Right, they have most of the team coming back. 
We bring in Jeff Cirillo to replace David Bell at third base. Jeff Cirillo did not play well. He was a big high money guy. We were paying him about as much as anybody on the roster. He hits 250, um, and I don't think he even hits 20 home runs. Yeah, he doesn't hit 20 home runs. Uh, at the All-Star break, though, we lead the division by eight games at the All-Star break. And then the A's, of course, just stop losing. And again, in just... On July 2nd, the Mariners had the best record in baseball. We play 500 ball the rest of the way. We get Edgar Martinez back. Edgar Martinez is hurt for the first half of the season. We get him back and then don't play as well. Yeah. Uh, which was very disappointed. One one thing that's interesting is this was really, is the team, I mean, they were hitting insanely well in 2001. As they're not hitting as well, the conversation about Safeco Field that now is commonplace and everyone knows starts to become a thing. Well, that was kind of confirmed in 04 when that team was so bad. Right, the 63 wins or whatever, yeah. yeah. That yeah. no one can hit there. The Safeco Field is an absolute pitcher's park. Um, it's where the hitters go. We put the we put hitters out to pasture in a very different way at Safeco. <laughs> Adrian Peltry, Richie Sexton. It's true. I mean, the career ruiners. Adrian Beltre, he can point a finger directly at the Seattle Mariners and blame them for the fact he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer. He had four or five really bad years. Really, like, where his home run numbers were okay, his average numbers were very low, the team was not good, and if you take his Texas, his Boston, and his Dodger numbers, the guy is a Hall of Famer. Absolutely. But then you throw in his Mariner numbers, like, well, I don't know. Yeah, he hit pretty poorly there. Uh, so that you got that whole the whole Safeco Field deal. Jamie Moyer is still cranking out great seasons for the Mariners, though. Um, got to give a little love to the left-handers. Uh, and so that's that's again the the sad tale of the 2002 Mariners. Uh, if you bring it up with any Seattle sports fan around here, they're going to tell you the 2002 and 2003 Mariners were just as good as anybody and get left out because of playing in that ridiculous division with the A's and the Angels. Uh, and now, okay, I'm, I want to move on to this segment. I'm really excited about this segment. We're calling it A Word From Dad. Uh, our father, of course, is a big sports fan as well. And he has his own recollections of what happened. Um, and this, so I just go to him. I ask him, hey, Dad, what do you remember about the 2002 Major League Baseball season? Uh, and what he remembers is generally quite entertaining and uh T- typically painted in some some great broad strokes. Uh, so I asked him, what do you remember about the 2002 Major League Baseball season? I said it was the money ball year. He goes, yes. Uh, the team full of no names uh, that kept the Mariners from making the playoffs. That's the first thing out of his mouth. Um, and he said, he said, all the guys on that team had no name names was the term he used. They sounded like no names. And you think about it, Scott Hatterberg... They had guys with the last names Grabowski. They had Fiery, Mencino, John Mabry, Randy Velarde. The kind of guys that are just like, really, these guys are keeping us out of the playoffs? Sounds like a hockey team. <laughs> well, I mean, they, they were paying them about what you'd pay a typical hockey team. Uh, it's the, the This A's team, of course, with no money, was doing this and stopping this Mariners team that was headed for another deep playoff run, at least it looked like halfway through the season. Uh, so he was saying, yeah, it was a bunch of no-names that can't lose that are ruining the Mariners' season. And then he used this term, 
And this is where, Joseph, I'm going to ask you to translate, because sometimes, sometimes our dad says things that a translator is required. He said you could drag a hot dog. Sorry. He said you... They, one more time. He said they dragged a hot dog through town and got themselves an infield. I mean... <laughs> what Can you explain what that means? Uh, got a bunch of nobodies. <laughs> I, I think it means that they... They basically picked up people from the farm and got themselves an infield and then won 103 games. I mean, I think Chris Pratt's a pretty good first baseman, if you ask me. <laughs> Chris Pratt's breakout role as Scott Hatterberg, uh, who's, who'd only ever played catcher. Um, that will forever be remembered. Uh, I went back watching the Game 5 that the A's lose to the Twins in the ALDS, and I didn't see Brad Pitt. I was pretty bummed. Oh, because he's in the basement. Right oh, working out. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. That that makes more sense. Now now I get it. What idiot did they have doing the voiceover at the end there about you can't win games or whatever with stats and stuff? <laughs> Who so, is that? So I want to... So that's Joe Morgan. Oh, gosh. Joe Morgan's a Hall of Famer. Played for the Reds in the 70s. So he's basically the 2002 version of John Smoltz? He is, the, he is absolutely the 2002 version of John Smoltz. He is Mr. You need to bunt, you need to run. We're going to have that. to have a whole segment just on John Smoltz. It'll be fun, guys. <laughs> if, if you guys decide, if, we're, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, get in touch with us. If you want us 45 minutes of ranting about how much we hate Joe Buck and John Smoltz, we absolutely can do well, that, Joe right? Joe Buck, he just sucks as a broadcaster, but he's not annoying. John Smoltz, we're going to have a fun segment on John Smoltz. <laughs> Um, so that, that whole reset, what were we talking about? Um, so that, that A's team, uh, was, was mostly what my dad remembered. And then the other comment he said, and again, I need you to translate this for me, Joseph, uh, during the world series, which the giants lose in seven games, Barry Bonds is playing great, but the giants lose. My dad says Bonds is being shoeless. Uh... I be, I, I'm guessing that's a shoeless Joe Jackson reference. Yeah, but I don't really know what that means. So so I went ahead and then I said, okay, I'm going to need a follow-up. I'm going to need you to explain what this means. And uh, he said basically that Bonds is getting blamed for the Giants losing. Oh, although he was really good. Even though he was yeah. playing his butt off, which is kind of what happened. Like in history, this is looked back on. And it's one of the big things that I want to try to point out to people with this podcast is Barry Bonds in this playoff run plays out of his mind. Out of his mind. He hits four home runs just in that World Series. Okay? I mean, there's no doubt he's a great competitor. Yeah, and yet he gets blamed for and looked at, this was his one time in the World Series. This was his chance to cement himself. At this time, they're saying cement himself as the greatest ever because they're not really thinking about the roids at this point. And they blow game six and they lose game seven. Game six, he hits a home run to put him up, I think, 4 nothing. And it's looking like the game is over. The Angels go on this big comeback. And two of the plays that happened in the comeback in the eighth inning, it's a little blue pit to left where Bonds is playing left field still at this point in his career, even though he can't really move. He Again, more machine than man at this point. And he bobbles a, a, a fly ball that had dropped in left field. And then a deep ball to left gets over him as he can't go and catch it. And that helps the Angel come back. And I think those things kind of got etched in people's minds and people forget that he was absolutely ridiculous in this series. Yeah, a couple of defensive plays. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. And it's debatable whether a regular outfielder would have been able to get to those balls anyways. Though I will say, if it's the eighth inning, Joseph, and you're up 4 nothing, don't you put in a defensive replacement at that point? That's interesting. I didn't consider that, but... The, why wouldn't you go? I mean, it's the playoffs. I'm sure you've got somebody on your bench, some kid who's 22 and fast who I mean, can go catch a fly ball. Bonds wasn't slow by then, but he's 38 or 39 at this point. But I guess he's not decrepit, but yeah. I mean, I get that. Okay, you're not going to take Bonds out of your lineup, but you're up already four runs at this point. It's something that probably should have been considered, especially after the first drop. Right. That maybe okay. Maybe you just real quick swap. Yeah. But that is one thing that I want to get that I want to put out there is because he it I read the AP article right like the wrap up of the game right and it says Bonds bobbled a fly ball in left field and then I watched the tape of it and it's a bloop single that drops and left and then he runs over and tries to barehand it and then fumbles with it and the guy maybe gets an extra base because of it. Oh, that's not really that's not accurate. Re- yeah, yeah, and so I I think that was kind of happening in the media's attempt to create a narrative and I think it's kind of unfair. Uh, okay, so let's just let's bomb through the playoffs really quick here. Here's how things went down. The A's play the Twins. Uh, they're the 103. They're America's darling. Everyone wants them to win. Game five with the Twins uh, in Oakland, and they lose 5-4. to four. They have a chance to get a guy on uh, in the ninth inning. They have an opportunity. Popped it up, blew the game. Uh, Mark Mulder pitched that game, did well. The game was actually 2-1 to one going into the eighth inning. And then the Twins pop for three in the eighth, and kind of that's the game from there, uh, which is really too bad. You can just see that crowd. What was really interesting was the stadium still at the start of the you game. You can see only... a crowd? <laughs> the The stadium's still only like two-thirds full yeah. at the start of that game, which I thought was really funny. Um, the Angels stun the Yankees. This Yankees team gets lost to history because you've got the what you think of the late 90s Yankees teams that win the World Series every year, right? You think of Paul O'Neill and Tino Martinez and Derek Jeter, Jorge Posada, Roger Clemens, all those guys, right? This 2002 team at this point, a lot of those guys aren't there anymore. Scott Brocious is gone. Tino's gone. Paul O'Neill's gone. Bernie Williams, this is his last good season as a Yankee. Um, you still have Jeter, Posada, obviously. Rivera. Rivera is still there. Pettit's Clem- Cle- still there. Clemens is injured now. He's still played this season, but he's he's getting old. Um, and so you've got some new people. Giambi's playing first base now, right? Alfonso Soriano's playing second base now. Uh, Robin Ventura is playing third. So this isn't the same team as those late 90s Yankees that everyone thinks of. Um, Scott Brocious is gone. So you've got this team, and they win 103 games again. And they're ridiculous again. And then the Angels stun them. The Angels come back in game two. They come back in game three. They come back in game four. And... Uh, they obviously had the magic, the magic behind them, and and that's the baseball postseason, right? Is well, you're playing every day. That's just a different momentum to how you play than football, Except especially like between the championship game and the Super Bowl, where there's two weeks. It's just a lot of time, but like baseball, it's so rapid fire that momentum is so easily carried. Yeah, somewhat in basketball, but probably baseball the most. Right. No, I totally, I totally agree with you. Uh, particularly when you can feel things slipping away from you, right? And then you're like, when you get four at-bats in a game, that feeling of everything slipping away from me uh, can really, really wear on you. And the Angels rode that. 
They wrote it all the way. They then take out the Twins in five. Again, want to point out the Twins go from you're out of baseball, we're going to terminate your franchise, to winning the division and going to the ALCS, which I think is incredible and needs to get pointed out more. That's What a story uh, that that season is. In the National League, the Diamondbacks, they're the defending champs, right? Really interesting what happens to them because they are red hot again. They're, we're going to go back to the World Series. Third week of September, Luis Gonzalez separates his shoulders after the season. They then have to play in the first round the Cardinals, who have the Daryl Kyle injury, uh, sorry, have the Daryl Kyle death and are going on this hot run. They're 21 and 4 in their last 25 games, and the Diamondbacks have to play them without Luis Gonzalez. Randy Johnson gets lit up in the first game. I went back and watched this. He's throwing crazy good pitches, low and away, and Jim Edmonds and Scott Rowland are taking him yard. So this is not a David Price 2014 playoffs <laughs> sort of sort of uh, performance. It was actually a good performance, just great hitting. Just great hitting. Just great hitting. Uh, and so that was crazy. You then have in the other uh, divisional round, the Braves go to five games with the Giants, and in game five, Bonds hits a home run, and the Giants win. Uh, Why are you even saying Bond hits? He hits a home run every game. You don't even need to bring that up. <laughs> but I want to point out that that's what was he was doing in this Smoltz? postseason. Uh, no, it was oh. not because this was in the sixth or seventh inning at this point. Dang it! Um, so it probably would have been off whoever the starter was in that game. Millwood, um, yeah, Kevin Millwood. Yep. So you have all of that um, that creates your championship series. Angels go by the Twins, and then in, uh, in five games, the Giants have no problem and uh, take care of the Cardinals, who finally run out of gas because Scott Rowland, who had been leading them, right, at third base, gets his shoulder popped out on a crazy play. The pinch run, I was watching the play. The pinch runner's at second base, ground ball to third. You've played baseball. Guy, The runner decides to take off. He's going to get to third and absolutely takes out Scott Rowland while he's trying to field the ground ball. Which I mean, of course he's out. It was a stupid play. Pops Roland's shoulder out and pretty much kills the rest of the Cardinals playoff. So they were ahead of Sean Payton in the total targeting <laughs> thing. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Targeting in baseball. Joseph, do you think the Astros are going to bring targeting it back into baseball? Well, I mean, they brought TVs back into baseball. They can do anything. Um, like, Jim Edmonds was on that Cardinals team, and nobody really thinks about Jim Edmonds. It's true. There's another guy who probably roided but kept it lower key. He's the second baseman. Jim Evans center field. Or center fielder, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was quite a team because you got Pujols, you have Jim Edmonds, and you have Scott Rowland. I mean, that's a good that's a good team. Uh, Edgar Renteria at shortstop. They didn't even have Maguire. He retired, and they were still good. Yeah, because Tino came in. You had yeah. Tino at first as well. I mean, that was a that was a very, very good team. And so you have, that's how top-heavy baseball was. You had these really good teams, and then... Uh, the right Devil Rays. Then, then the Devil Rays, exactly. And Baltimore. Uh, and so then you go to that World Series, uh, Game Six. Giants are up three games to two. They're up four zero going into the eighth. Angels make an incredible comeback. That's when the rally monkey is is on the cover of Sports Illustrated. It's the story. Uh, and one thing that I wanted to point out: the rally monkey belongs in the Superstition Hall of Fame for this reason. It had rules. You ready for this? Okay. The rally monkey had rules. They went back and interviewed the guy that was in charge of the video board for the Angels. The Rally Monkey only came out if the game was if the Angels were behind in the sixth inning or later, and the differential was less than four runs. 
Is that kind of standard rally rules though for like rally caps and things like that? Is it? You don't do it, it when you're down by twenty. You don't do it in the third inning. I feel like that's kind of standard, but maybe because of the precedent. No, you're probably right, but I think the fact that they didn't overuse it is key, right, yeah. to a good a good superstition. Because then no one cares if it's always just like right. Um, if you're all every game, you're rolling out the rally monkey. That reminds me of like in 2016. Um, or 2017, the Mets with the, the parrot. Oh, yeah. I forgot about the parrot. And Cespit, when they had Cespedes or whatever. Yeah. And there was the, the freaking neon parrot or whatever. I yeah, remember that. that. Great. Yeah. the Anything like that in sports. Give me more of that. Sports with random animals and stuff. <laughs> and just the guys being characters. Yeah. Always good. So the rally monkey takes over the world, leads the Angels to a World Series. When they win Game 7... I remember being bummed out that it wasn't a very exciting Game 7. Garrett Anderson's the hero. He has a two-run double that kind of blows the game open in the fifth. Uh, and so one more time, we'll say Garrett Anderson deserves some more love. Uh, he has an incredible season. But this Angels team, we didn't talk about him a ton, but Troy Glaus, Scott Spezio. Mo Vaughn, I believe, is on that team. No, no Mo Vaughn. No Mo Vaughn. No Mo Vaughn. Okay. He's gone at this point. Um, Troy Glaus, Scott Spezio, David Eckstein. They've... Um... K-Rod. Right? Yes, they have team. K-Rod, who has an incredible season and is... I'm watching him. He is lights out in this yeah, postseason. Really uh, John Lackey is uh, the young rookie pitcher who was shutting a lot of people down. Uh, and so they were a team of a bunch of guys who were really good, not necessarily by themselves insane players, but Troy Glaus is, was you know a consistently great player in that time. Garrett Anderson, same thing. And so all those guys kind of came together, and they they went on a run uh, that will always be remembered. So there you go. Uh, that's that's what we've got. Uh, we will be back with episodes covering the National Football League and the NBA. Uh, our plan is to cover the 1999 NBA season, the season following Jordan's retirement. Oh, I have no idea what happens. <laughs> there you go. Uh, it, Joseph will be ready to binge watch that season um, because he does not know what's going to happen. And we'll cover the 2010 NFL season, the season where Brett Favre is wearing a Vikings jersey and uh, the Saints go on their incredible run to a Super Bowl. That's the plan. We, uh, You can find us on Instagram at Sports Historians. You can find us at Twitter at Sports Historians. Uh, you can email us, uh, the sportshistorians at gmail.com. Any of those different platforms, follow us. And if you want to hear things from us, go ahead, give us a, a shout out. Tell us, hey, I want you to cover this season, or you guys should talk about this, or this should be a segment. We're all for it. Uh, if we screwed up anything and you want to correct us, go ahead. Oh, we definitely screwed up. <laughs> go ahead and correct us. Uh, but we had a blast doing this, so thanks for listening, guys. Also, please... If you find this on iTunes, Spotify, whatever, go ahead and give us a five-star review. Pretty, pretty please, because uh, that'll really help us. Share us with your friends. Put us in your Instagram and Snapchat stories. You know, Say, hey, these listen to these guys. Uh, they may be just a couple of bums, but they know what they're talking about when it comes to sports. And uh, and we're, so if you made it all the way to the end of this, thank you very much. We're really appreciative. And uh, you got anything? Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs>